Go Loud presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. I'm Sonia Lennon, one half of the Lennon Courtney podcast. But I've locked Brendan out of the studio because I have to get my kicks somehow. Do I feel guilty about it? See season three, episode nine below. Way back in 2020, when this podcast was still a tiny podcasting baby, we did an episode all about guilt. We feel guilty when we work too much, when we don't work enough, and then there's buyer's guilt, Catholic guilt, mother's guilt. Why, there's a guilt for every day of the year, and we wanted to talk about it. A new season of the podcast starts Thursday, 28th of July. But in the meantime, we'll be releasing fabulous archive episodes like the one you're just about to hear to get you in the Lennon Courtney podcasting mood. Enjoy. So I'm going to kick off straight away with I had a full 48 hours of guilt and I think (gasps) thought about this on the way to set up. Yeah, because it's Adam's 40th this weekend and everything I'd planned had to be cancelled. And I thought, well, and I went between... (laughs) That's just the way it is. I think I do too. Oh my God, I feel so guilty now because, well, I was obviously raging, but actually it, I was just thinking about it. It was driven largely by if I wake up on his birthday and it's his 40th, it's a big birthday and, and without anything organized, I feel really guilty. And then I was analyzing that guilt and thinking, well, it's beyond my control. So um, I've just suffered a big bout of guilt oh. just in time for this episode. <laughs> Brendan, it's work day, not work day for Adam, but it's work day for us in this issue, which yes, is yes. The, the main thing. Yeah, the main thing. Yes. Um, well, it has worked out for Adam because you've paddled very hard to make it good. Yes, I have actually. Yes, I have. Fueled by love, but also um, guilt. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of guilt. But yes, and let's. Oh, do you want to get a? Do you want the definition of guilt then? Oh yeah. Yeah, come on, let's get this. Oh, first, let's get this party started. A guilt is a common feeling of emotional distress that signals us when our actions or inactions have caused or might cause harm to another person, physical, emotional, or otherwise. It typically typically occurs in microbursts of brief signals. So it's like a little inbuilt ling to kind of course correct you, maybe or advise you that you're doing the wrong thing or you could make a better choice and my other backup then following on from that fascinating fact is according to an article in psychology today one study found that if you out of all the moments you spend feeling mildly or moderately guilty we can experience five hours of guilt every week and you've had 48 of them so so i i took your chronology of notes and i drilled in a little bit deeper so let me follow up there okay okay go so esther reading reading your uh description of uh, your definition of guilt, if you like. Mm-hmm. I, I started to wonder about the difference between guilt and shame. Um, and and only in reading it, I hadn't ever given this any thought. So guilt is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offence, crime, wrong, etc., real or imagined, on others. Shame is the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, done by oneself. So it's actually one is an external manifestation and one is sort of more internalized. They're very, very linked, though. And I think if you um, if you think about it, right, guilt by its nature is a form of emotional evolution. So it is widely perceived that sociopaths and psychopaths cannot experience guilt because they cannot they, they cannot 
experience empathy and they don't have a conscience developed in the same way that others do. So if you think about it like that, it's kind of interesting. But for me, what I found really fascinating was the the, the three psychological bu- buckets of guilt that are that are widely perceived to be sort of the various different um, categories, if you like. So the first is neurotic guilt, and that's based on something which you probably shouldn't be feeling guilty about. It's out of proportion to the event. It's caused by, uh, you know, something where the guilt is coming from uh, a sense of identity, something maybe that happened to you in your past. And it's this kind of slightly irrational guilt. Now, I've come across loads of people who, who have experienced that, but it's linked back to something that happened in their past. Does that make sense? Actual guilt kind of natty little name there, um, or reality-based guilt, um, it is a bit easier to understand. So it's, it's, it's if we do something that we're not happy with, if we're selfish or we cause harm or offence to somebody, we, we sort of have a, a reaction to that. So it's, it's much more of a sort of an external action or, or, or words that we use and we don't like what, what they do. So it's based on our own actions. And the third one, you're going to love this is existentialist guilt. OMG. Oh, wow, what's that? Oh, wow. So existentialist guilt is the guilt that you feel about aspects of our lives that we potentially can't control. So um, I'm minded of, um, you know, the recent Black Lives Matter movement. And you don't, you know, in, in a country where or certainly in a world where I am not hugely affected by the impact, negative impact of racism, I could choose to not know more, except that yourself and myself are going to do a master's in EDI yeah. and, and <clears throat> we have to, um, and we want to know more. And when you know more, and in fact, it, I'm going to full disclaimer, this is my outside thing that, that, is courtesy of you, Brandon, which is the book Cast. Um, and when you read and, and you inform yourself on a, an injustice, a kind of a global injustice that you can't do anything about, all of a sudden there is a, there's a guilt that you weren't informed up until now. There's a guilt that you kind of can't do a huge amount about it. Yeah, Maybe you yeah. have some influence, um, yeah. but it's that kind of existential guilt, guilt, which has nothing to do with petty misdemeanors or, or feelings of um, not being adequate. They're, they're much bigger things. Is that uh, guilt overwhelming? Like, do people choose I not to go with the third one? It's such an elephant to eat. <laughs> That's what I mean. So is existentialist guilt actually something people generally don't suffer from because it's so overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? And but it's easier not to. So it gets even, so- it gets even more complicated. There are three subtype, subtypes of existential guilt. So there is the personal level existential guilt, and that's about us not living up to our potential. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, we, we have in, in that state, we have accepted an invitation to reflect upon our own potential. So, so we're yeah. aware that maybe we could do more, but, you know, maybe that's just too much to ask of ourselves at the moment. Yeah. But once you've gone there, you can't unknow it. So you begin to feel get guilty that you're not pushing yourself f- far enough. The second one is 
interpersonal um, and and this is more about your responsibility to others and to society so that would be about well you know if if I seriously do care about the planet if I claim to care about the planet what am I doing if I care about people who have less than me and who are homeless or whatever it might be what am I doing about it and if I know about it and I feel bad about it and I do nothing about it that's a sort of an interpersonal existential guilt that I have to deal with and then the physical world I suppose that the kind of the, the climate piece where we're inhabiting a world uh, along with everybody else and you know how are we responsible for our own existence within our environment so it's it's re- really interesting i think as 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 a as a sort of a a catholic nation in inverted commas if you like we our first default is to that kind of catholic guilt and a friend of ours donna was was telling me that she she was filming um with a very famous comedian um who who is Jewish and she felt all about the things that they were doing because they were tricking people and they were kind of you know they they were they were taking the piss out of people and she felt awful she felt so guilty and some of the people were really nice and they were just doing kind of mean things to them and and he said to her what are you talking about you're catholic you can go and ask for forgiveness forgiveness for anything any day of the week you know and i think that's that was a great kind of vent in the olden days that whatever you did you could just go to confession and it was gone you know we don't have that anymore so we carry loads of stuff around with us yeah now you see just on that one right that's always confused me because how did the church manage to keep the levels of guilt so high when really all you do was pop into the vestibule and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six months since my last confession and forgive me for everything, right? But actually what they didn't do, there was a judgment, wasn't there? There was an overlaying. And a shame, uh, shaming as well. A shaming, mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. A shaming which bred and fed the guilt, which we grew up under. I mean, we're one of the last generations who remember it very vividly. And, you know, remember... Sex before marriage, and remember living in sin, and I remember all those phases, you know. And it was a shotgun wedding, and all these guilt related to the physical, awful, awful bullshit, awful, ridiculous. But a weight that actually I remember feeling guilty about my own feelings, you know. I just remember, oh, that's dirty and bold. It's not. It's natural and normal. And God, it was. What and a- we're really living. I, I think we're the last generation living with that sort of bodily shame and mm. and it's sex and it's uh, menstruation and it's masturbation and it's 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 all the bodily function stuff that was a bit icky and and nobody talked about it and you know i think there's there's some amazing menopause oh my god nobody would ever talk about menopause you know lest they be struck down by lightning um and and i just i think we we are the last. I am certainly not prepared to have whispery conversations with Evie about periods. It's just a fact. That's what mm-hmm. happens, you know. And um, and and the boys are part of that conversation as well. It, like they have to be. They have you know, to be I can because remember, it's just the way things are. I can remember when I was in my teenage years, so thirty years ago, the big C was what people said about cancer. It was shameful to say cancer. I remember my grandfather got Alzheimer's and when they explained it to my grandmother, she said, oh, he couldn't get a respectable disease, could he? He had to get something weird. <laughs> like she was ashamed of the, z- wow. the disease he got. You know, he couldn't get something that we could explain. And I remember there was a shame about illness. It must have been, right? It must have been a weakness. It must have been, 
I don't know. So it's it, it's actually they're all quite linked in terms of the guilt and the shame about getting old. The weakness about of the flesh. The weakness of the flesh, whether it's illness or sexual, um, it's all linked back to in many ways the church, I suppose, and. The, the oppression of women. <laughs> there you go. Got straight to the point. Mm-hmm. It seems to be linked to that of old, right? But I love the positive side of what you've just described, which is body shaming. So that's no longer acceptable, particularly in, in younger culture, it, you know, to, to say somebody is fat or to say somebody is ugly or to, to make a judgment about someone's appearance is literally no longer acceptable. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it yeah. still seems to happen Absolutely. sometimes. Right. It still seems to happen because I think, I mean, you can tell us from your anthropological experiment right there under your roof. Do teenagers still kind of do in any way? Do they still aspire to look like their idols? You know, do they still, you know, is there a judgment if you're not as skinny or as tall or as pretty or as buff or as fast? I don't know. Is, that, is it still a natural thing for, for, for human when, as they evolve into adulthood to want to be the strongest, best, most measurable? You know, when your hormones are whizzing around, is that the natural urge? And is that where the shame or the guilt comes from? I think, I think that's primal. Yeah, you that's know? what I mean. You, you want to be at the top of the heap, whether, you know. But I, I, I think that... I think that we don't necessarily give them enough credit for their intelligence. So they see the, you know, the these kind of embodiments of perfection on Instagram. But but they do know that that is always neither desirable nor achievable by everybody. You know, they're they're smarter than that. They they see it and and I think I think they are more accepting of people in all shapes and sizes now than we were. Definitely. Yeah. yeah Definitely. There's, there's not so much. So, so it's not, you know, like the nerds are cool. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, that's OK. That's, if you, it, you're right, actually, because the other side of massive platforms with multiple voices is actually that. So while we have the perfectionist and the idealist of the Kardashians and the doe eyes you also then have opportunity for criticism or for observation or for other voices so with that comes an opportunity for other people to go well actually i don't look like that and i'm i'm not ashamed of not looking like that so there is positives with it as well but um and i do often think when people say oh they're under so much more pressure than we were no my pressure was internalized when i was a teenager i wanted to look like my idols i wanted to be the best looking in the group i wanted to be the fat you know i i, I hoped that's where i was going fantasized about being a model, whatever you do as a teenager, being in a pop band or, you know. So I, I think that's just fantasy stuff that you're allowed to do as a child. I don't, I wonder, I think there's a lot more external stuff coming at them, but is there, is there? I think a lot of them are more equipped than we were. They're, they're smarter naive. than we were. They're more worldly wise. Their context is broader. They're less naive. Um, now there are huge challenges within that. And, and for the, the, the more vulnerable of 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 that generation, I, I think the the challenges are huge. Um, yeah. But I think if if you're able for it, um, it's it's a very different world than than we know. But let's talk about um, <laughs> let's talk about guilt. And I think uh, like I think about guilt and some of the times that I've felt guilty about stuff. Hold on, more hold on, around getting because let's take a break. That, I was going to say that. very good. <laughs> And we're back. What 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 have you felt guilty about? Go on. I remember that one of my earliest 
moments of guilt was when my dad said to me, I mean, this is going back, oh my God, into the annals of history. I, I could only have been about nine or 10. Sorry, I'm moving and, out of the sunlight. Uh, he said to me, uh, and I'd got a, a thing of bubbles. Um, and he said to me, don't, don't bring those bubbles to school. And I said, okay. And I put the bubbles in my in my school bag and off I trotted and played with the bubbles. During, like the innocence of it. Oh my God. Went to because my mum worked, went to a neighbor's house who was my other mummy, went there after school, did my homework. Uh, when dad got home, mum was probably away on a flight or something. Dad got home uh, and came to collect me and off we went down the road, back to the house and the neighbor came out to the front door and said, Sonia, you forgot your bubbles. <laughs> and like- I was like, <gasps> and you know, I certainly didn't feel guilty about bringing the bubbles to school when I was playing with them in the schoolyard. What I felt really like guilty it. about was getting caught. <laughs> yeah. That's more like it. And I do, isn't it though? So I think we have to be a bit honest with ourselves about what we actually are guilty for, the act or the uh, exposure. Interesting. So I, I heard a great line once about, you know, say in relationships, about people feeling guilty. Uh, say, let's go for an extreme example for cheating on a partner, right? And then I heard, which I kind of, not literally or really because I think you can, I mean, I'm, I'm the king of generalization, right? But this comedian said once, I was like, it really struck a chord to me. Listen, and he's, I think it was Chris Rock or something, right? So he's kind of in it's not that offensive, but it walks a line, right? I've been a little bit offensive. Men are only as faithful as their options. And it really, I always said that to you, remember jokingly. But I think the only time I've ever seen a cheater feel guilty was when they got caught. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I just wonder, I think that's really an interesting take on guilt as well. And I, I, in in, in it's a great source of amusement for sure, right? And interesting with the bubble situation, right? Did you not find... Let's talk were, about the bubbles, yes. Let's break yeah, it down. Yeah, but did you not find... I found if I did something, and I wonder was it driven by Catholicism, right? But if I did something, it would eat me up till I fessed up sometimes when I was a kid. And I would just blurt it out to get it off my chest. And often I didn't have to, but I remember when I was a kid, I'd maybe mitch off school. So it was a bit serious, I suppose, or like being about 12 or 13 and, and being a bit bold now, I uh, taking a half day or something. And then, oh, and then, oh, maybe there was a risk of getting caught. So you thought better come clean than get caught because at least you own it then. I just remembered a brilliant one um, in must have been third year or fourth year in secondary school. There was competition in the Herald um, to win tickets to the premiere of Absolute Beginners um, with David Bowie by Julian Temple in the Ambassador on, on O'Connell Street. But you had to go up to the cinema in your 1950s costume because it was a period movie. And so myself and my friend, uh, packed our costumes, our 1950s big skirts and whole lot in our school bags and mitched off school to go up and get the tickets for the premiere. We didn't realise that there was a press photography effect. <laughs> we got the tickets and we also got in the paper. <laughs> Rumbled. There's no sweet talking but, uh, your way out of that worth one. It. No, I still have the press clipping downstairs, actually. So we've talked about childhood guilt. We've talked about broad guilt we've talked about catholic guilt. Guilt, catholic guilt and irish guilt but i think we really have to talk 
about parental guilt, Sonia, about women working, feeling like they're never doing enough for their kids. What's that about? What's that like? I think it's very um, sort of, it's like a cultural demand on us. And do men that suffer we from should it? feel guilty. No, I don't think so. That, I mean, again, that's you, a gross well, generalization. Yeah. Some do, but I, I think that there is a sort of a, a loop back cultural more around women should be with their kids. And, and uh, you know, that is not the reality for so many women anymore. Um, and, and when you think about it, I've always said that, you know, guilt is a completely redundant emotion, particularly if it pertains to something that you've done. Okay, so it's if it's existentialist guilt about a situation that you may be able to positively impact, then then maybe that becomes a driver and an impetus to to act. But if it's a response to a decision that you've made or an action that you've undertaken, feeling guilty about it is completely useless. It it it's it it serves no purpose unless you're going to change your actions. So it's a bit like the definition of madness. You know, keep keep doing something and expect a different result and you are officially mad. If you feel so guilty about it, either change it, change your reality. And if you can, if you tell me, I, we can't afford to change our reality, we need two incomes. Well, what matters more to you? To, to work and to contribute to the household, to set, you know, a, a, a role model for your kids as, as somebody who is contributing to the household or, or to be at home with your kids. And if it's to be with, at home with your kids, move somewhere where you can afford to be, you know, go and change, change your prioritization to, to, to fit it and to fill it. Because day on day, perpetual guilt for things that you are not willing to move on is corrosive. There's no doubt about that. See, I, I, I agree with Sonia. Because I think I it's think, about identity. Yeah, that's exactly it. My mother worked yeah. all of our lives. And honestly, I can tell you, it, it molded really independent thinkers and confident people. It made us confident and independent in a way that I'm not sure how to describe her being at work did. But we were, my overriding feeling of my mother going to work was that I was proud of her and impressed by her. Yeah, so I think me, that, me that has to be a good thing, so, right? So let's, let's, let's just say at the end of the day, it's about choice and it's about the choices you make in how you live your life. If you choose to stay at home with your kids and parent at home and, and be a full-time mom um, and that's what you want and you can afford to do it, go for it. I know I would not have been as good a parent if I did that because I'd been stifled and... Um, not not intellectually stimulated as much as I felt I should have been. I, I just know that for a fact. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is this is not to say that one choice is better than another, but if oh, you no, make no. the choice to work, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to live with it. You have to yeah. make your peace. It's funny. The guilt is just such a waste of time. I, I've really come to that conclusion as I've gotten a bit older as well. Just why? why, why you, you can't do anything better now. Dispense with it. Move on. We're giving guilt a, a pretty bad rap here, right? And and for the most part, absolutely, it deserves it. the o- the only The only time that guilt, I suppose, has a positive spin is that it is a period of self reflection. If you if you use it positively, if you if like I I remember. Okay, here's one for you. Sometimes we're so busy that we can't see what's in front of us. And I remember the twins were about, um, they might have been about four. So they were preschool and 
they went to a local minder and I kind of, I was really, really busy. So it was probably around the time that we started off the rails. Um, I was really busy at the time. It was full on, fly up to drop them, fly up to collect them. And when when I'd collect them, I'd noticed that the, the they were all on the couch watching TV. And I kind of put that, par- parked it somewhere. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going until it got to Christmas. And we all had two weeks off. And I was reading a book, this beautiful book, uh, I can't remember who, anyway, Olivia is the book who, you know, loads of, loads of people are going to know the book, Olivia, the pig, and she has great aspirations for her career. Anyway, in the, in the illustrated book was a, uh, an illustration of uh, a judge, a pig judge. And uh, Evie, I think it was said, what's, what's that? And I said, that's a judge. And at the age of four, she said, oh, like judge Judy. And I went, Hang on a second. <laughs> My children are sitting on the couch watching Judy all day. And I just remember thinking, you idiot. How could you let this happen? And I think it was just that, like, and it was in that moment. And that I whipped them out immediately. But I didn't have anywhere to put the, 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 the clues when I was working so hard, you know? And then you have to kind of reconstruct a rationale for yourself of how you let that happen. That's kind of funny, though. I mean, Judge Judy is great. I mean, she's funny. She's quick on her feet. She's a judge. She was an aspire to. Um, but, you know, initially I was thinking when we said we do the guilt issue, yeah, guilt is a bad thing. But actually it can be used like a little a little notification within yourself. You know, I could do better. I could make a different choice going forward. If you use it to make positive change, it can be a great catalyst. Well, now, so will we talk about the outside things right now so this is this amazing book really tough read um but absolutely phenomenal called cast by isabel wilkerson and it is the history of slavery in the united states and it's it's just mind-bending it's absolutely mind-bending when the nazis when the nazi party were um before the war when they were just convening and they were looking for a ca- looking to develop a campaign of uh, segregation and annihilation of the Jewish community. They looked to the U.S. and said, "How come the U.S. have been able to render the whole black society uh, powerless within their own uh, within their own country and not have any international outcry?" And when they put forward the policies that the U.S. had enacted against the blacks, uh, the Nazi party deemed them to be too punitive and said they were too harsh and they wouldn't adopt them. (laughs) So in terms of understanding the landscape of uh, of racism and of the caste society within the US, it is a phenomenal read. So and thank you for the recommendation. My outside thing, staying on social responsibility, staying on social responsibility and um, because cast is actually a very good read and you're right i had to at night stop reading some of the parts of it because it's so horrific um but it's so worth knowing and you just feel empowered to know it and you feel you want to tell people to please read it so yeah that's kind of why and the same thing i just watched the other night and it's mind-blowing and it's richard attenborough's our planet 
on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. Richard Attenborough is 94 and hosts this show, which charts his career through the planet. He started broadcasting for the BBC in 1946, the age of 20. And he they do a ticker tape of how the O2 emissions have increased, how the population David Attenborough. Increased. Sorry, David Attenborough. What, um, what did they, he go? I go, he left, right, get it wrong. Richard, Richard. Hey. Richard. Oh, sorry. Hey. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I was like, yeah, Richard. Dave Lattenborough, sorry. Welcome He's, to our world. Yes. <laughs> but first of all, it's kind of amazing to watch a 94-year-old man be so amazing on screen still and such a body of information. But his explanation of the planet and climate change is so engaging, so interesting, because it's also on the narrative of his life through broadcasting, what he's seen. It's, it's one of the greatest films I've ever watched. And it is, it's actually inspiring and it actually leaves you with hope what we can do to change things, uh, which has become vegan, by the way. But um, it, it is really inspiring. <laughs> um, but, uh, and he's inspiring. So I would, that's my outside thing. I mean, I've watched it twice. I'm going to watch it again. It's mind blowing. It's brilliant. So if you feel guilty. Da- his name is David. Dave. Yeah. But I nodded along stage. You're like, yes. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like a Wally. So excited. It's like, absolutely. I love his work. Richard Attenborough, Richard Attenborough was the Santa in Miracle on 54th Street. Damn it. <laughs> well, now we know. Now this we know. Is, this is myself and Brendan. This is myself and Brendan going to uh, to a meeting. Uh, Brendan put out his hand and say, uh, uh, hello. Hello, Gary. Hello, hello Gary. Nice to meet you. Walter. It's Michael. It's yeah. <laughs> Hello, Billy, Barry. Hello, John. Jean. And that's, so weird, that's the way my I'm brain works. Echo in his ear. I mean, it's literally so. I mean, it's like, it's actually like I put that on, isn't it? You're like, it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. I know enough. you Billy, don't, Barry. I, really I wonder do. what that is. Is it just that I'm late? Is that I'm late? Will we do the lazy issue? Because <laughs> I'll be all over that one. <laughs> <gasps> I love that. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's no malice intended oh, with Brendan. Oh, here is the question. Here's the question that have you ever had a press interview that you haven't been asked what your guilty pleasure is? <sighs> All the time. What's your guilty pleasure? What's my your guilty, guilty pleasure. pleasure? What's your my guilty pleasure? pleasure never makes the press when I always say masturbation. <laughs> We're going to cut that out. <laughs> Not cut that out. I actually put, put, I actually tweeted somebody who won a Nimro for their radio show did the same thing. You're my guilty pleasure. And I was like, no, that's just rude to call somebody your guilty pleasure. It means they're naff or, or horrible. It is rude, isn't it? You're really like, and just look at editing this bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>